Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 144 with Rachel O'Mara. Rachel shares how to take an optimal pause or break, a timeout to have big rejuvenation, whether it's short or long, and how to make the most of it. So you'll learn, one, the critical benefits of taking a pause, two, quick tools for making each pause deliver maximum refreshment, and three, how to turn challenges into opportunities. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep144. That's awesomeatyourjob.com slash letters E, P, numbers 144. And while you're over at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our goodies from the Gold Nugget email list, which summarizes the wisdom from Rachel and the 143 guests who've come before her. We take the notes for you if you can't get to a pen and paper while you're listening, we've got you covered in a handy email that shows up in your inbox each morning. There's a new guest as well as the 10 days to winning at work email course, which has fun tactics for slashing through waste in your work week. Come on by, check out some of the cool stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here's Rachel's story. Rachel O'Mara is a transformational leadership coach assisting others to fulfill their potential. She is also a sales executive at Google and hosts authors who have meaningful messages about mindfulness and emotional intelligence for the Talks at Google YouTube channel. She writes regularly for the Huffington Post and has been featured in the New York Times and WSJ.com. She leads workshops and speaks on the practice of pausing. She is certified in transformational coaching from the Wright Graduate University for the Realization of Human Potential, ICF, and has an MBA from Fordham University. Here's Rachel. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hi, Pete. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm excited to dig deep into the pausing concept, but you've got a couple pauses in your own life that you've experienced. Could you Mm -hmm. share with us a tale of a good pause or adventure along your career journey? Yeah. First, I call a pause any intentional shift in behavior. So that said... There's lots of ways that you can do that. And some of the more fun ways are to go out and have an adventure, an epic journey of sorts, if you are able to. It's not always the case, but one of the first ways that I paused was right after college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do yet. I had a bachelor's in geography from University of Albany in New York. I was like, where am I going to go? And really what resonated with me, I wanted to go to France. And I just really had a desire to see it. I'd never gone to France and I'd been studying the language. So I made a plan. I worked my summer at Pizzeria Uno's in Albany Crossgates Mall and saved up my hard-earned cash. And I got a working permit, a carte de séjour for six months. And I learned about what I could do there and bought a one-way ticket and headed over to France. So I was there for nine months and I worked in the French Alps in the ski resort called Val d'Isère which was a quite adventurous time, I think, for me and really wasn't sure what I was getting into. I took a two-month camping car trip around the Mediterranean and then I came back and was like, oh, now I got to go do something else. <laughs> I'm out of money. 
Oh, boy. Well, so that, that was my first pause. Fun. Yeah, well, yeah. good. You're walking the talk. And it sounds like a hoot. I'm sure there are interesting tales from the folks yeah. on the slopes. Yes, yes. I got fired at least once from my job. <laughs> so oh, okay, it was a tale of perseverance. <laughs> so I was working at a chalet for French cocktails. And it was a panel bar. And the, as you know, the French take their restauranteering very seriously. And I just could not learn the cocktail names fast enough or speak French well enough or probably dress well enough. So they basically canned me and I negotiated to do some dishes for them. And then I ended up getting another job working as a chalet girl, cleaning the, the chalets there and doing some au pair nanny type work. I definitely remember being challenged a lot in that situation. Oh, I hear you. And I love the candor and sort of the realness, the rawness that you sort of share your own experiences, whether they may be flattering or not so flattering. You even share a little bit about what you've called your dismal performance at Google for a time. What's the story there? Yeah, yeah. So in the book, Pause, I have this story sort of set up in the first chapter that I really wasn't doing great, as you say, my dismal performance. and. I was getting reminded left and right in all sorts of ways. And one of the more telling ways was that my manager just was really feeling like a broken record and mentioning that I wasn't up to par. And no matter what I tried, no matter what I did, because it wasn't about effort. I felt like every day I was like, okay, I'm going to put in all my effort and things are going to be different. And for whatever reason, I wasn't succeeding. So I was basically on this fast track to burnout and pretty much did. And then my mental space was not a healthy one where I really wasn't thinking, oh, that's okay. (laughs) I'll try again tomorrow or maybe I can change it. I felt like I was a failure. And my mental chatter, the monkey mind, as I call it, and many people call it, was really about, I would have these talks with myself like, Rachel, what's wrong with you? And I mean, I talk about this in the book, but there was probably a lot of other things going on, but I wasn't even aware of them because I was so preoccupied and focused on, I got to do great. I got to do well. I have to make this work today and maybe this will be different. And I really wasn't focused on being present, being like, okay, what's the reality here? What's my objective? Being in this place that could be more calm and centered so that I could perform and give it my best. Because even though I thought I was giving my best, I don't think I was. And I feel like I was all distorted. My brain wasn't really clear. And I was mucked around with all this negative chatter that wasn't serving me and only creating this downward spiral, which led to burnout in that case. Yeah. So you're putting in a lot of effort, but your feedback was saying, well, hey, your efforts on the wrong things, or you're just coming across poorly? Like how did that show up in terms of, you know, reviews and feedback delivered to you? Yeah. So I think what it was, I mean, looking back, this was five years ago now for me, but it really was the creation of this time in my life, taking this intentional shift in behavior to really look at my life and say, what's going on? Because what I thought was working and I had been successful, right? I got to Google. I'd been doing really well. I was this national champion rower and outside of the work world. And for whatever reason, the things weren't going smoothly anymore. So for me, I had informal conversations with my manager. And I think really what it was in reality was, I think she held a great bar, a high bar. And for whatever reason, I was aiming to get there, but I couldn't. I don't know if it was just my mental blocks at the time or not being open to her feedback. I think a little bit of it was in denial. Me being Mm -hmm. like, what is she talking about? 
I'm okay. I clearly can communicate. At one point, I think I had a written up performance plan where it was just a regular document, but it was like written out very clearly. Here's the things that need to happen. And there were pretty broad stroke kind of things like, you know, executive presence and managing up or communicating effectively to reports. I had a team of people. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this is things we probably can all relate to. And I just saw those things on paper and probably panicked. I don't remember exactly, but I think I was just like, oh no, I'm a failure. This isn't working and I have to change. So I don't think I really was present. And when I say present, meaning like, I don't think I really consciously knew what I was doing (laughs) because I was so caught up in my thoughts that I couldn't and didn't focus on the actual actions at hand. And I might have thought I was doing okay. And maybe I was, but I think my external voice and where I really was at the time in that team was one where it was questionable. And I think it was my own questioning, my own self-doubt and my own potential perception that this isn't going great. And now what? Oh God, this shit's hitting the fan. Sorry if I'm swearing there. So that was where I was. And so for me, it was about a couple things where I was in this mental negative space, which wasn't helping me. And I really didn't know what else to do. So I was just going and going and putting my best effort through and muscling through stuff. And yet that was probably the worst thing to do. And there's nothing wrong with having effort and going for it. That's not what I'm saying. But what if I'd actually taken a step back, even a weekend, and this is actually what happened. I uh, assessed my path and basically was told, hey, Rachel, this may not be the best fit for you. And I was a customer support manager. So it was kind of this crux pivotal moment. And I did end up asking around my friends and just for a second opinion, because I felt like I was so clouded. And I think a lot of us have probably been there at one point or another that someone suggested, hey, well, don't they have a leave of absence program there? And so I ended up taking a long three-month unpaid break. And I was very fortunate to have that as an option for me. There's actually only 14% of global companies that offer unpaid or paid leave, according to the Society of Human Resources Management. So super, super blessed and fortunate to have that happen. And so what ended up happening was I took the weekend to research that and come up with a case that I wanted to state to position myself and say, hey, I think we could have a win-win here if I took this break and then actually find someone who is a better fit for this role. Very good. Well, thanks for sharing that tale. And so that was part of the inspiration, I take it, behind your book, Pause. What's sort of the Mm. overall premise of this work? Yeah. So again, a pause is any intentional shift in behavior. And so that could mean a whole bunch of stuff, right? And the idea is that instead of thinking that you need to charge forward and do the things right away or go on to the next action, what if you took a step back or literally paused to create some space around you? And it might mean an intentional shift in behavior like taking a class or even a weekend, some type of shift, and ultimately have some new insights or ways of being that actually wouldn't have happened otherwise. And I think the big picture, the big message that I have is that if we do that and check in more often, we can lead more meaningful and satisfied lives, whether it's in your career or your personal life. And instead of going on autopilot, go, 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 
these little tweaks can make a huge difference. And that's really the message of pause. And I think anyone can pause. We can all pause. And it's about finding what works for you. And it might be different for all of us. What works for me might not be what works for you, Pete, and that kind of thing. You're into the neuroscience and the studies and the research. Any kind of compelling experiments or data that kind of prove that out all the more in terms of this little bit makes a big difference? Absolutely, yes. I have a lot of research in pause, and a lot of it's based on my own work at the Wright Graduate University in Chicago with Bob and Judith Wright, where I became certified in coaching, and I do a lot of personal emotional intelligence work there. So one of the ways to pause, and I talk about this in the book, is journaling. Okay, so this isn't a real big news flash, hopefully, for a lot of us, but even the act of journaling, and I call this a power tool, like using journaling as a power tool, there's actually research done that when you journal for as little as two minutes in two consecutive days on an emotionally significant event that you have in your life, it improves your mood and well-being. Whether that emotional event is a happy one or a sad one? Any emotional event. Okay. And the whole idea is that this is from a study done in 2009. So just to cite that, it's the VSL science, the two-minute plan for feeling better. And we actually have this in our Search Inside Yourself training that we do at Google, which is an independent nonprofit on mindfulness and self-awareness. But the idea is that when you write, there's different parts of your brain that get activated as opposed to speaking. So when you're writing something down, there's a section of your brain, it's called the RAS, the Reticular Activating System, and that turns signals on basically to pay attention when you write. It's kind of cool. So when you think about how often we don't write now, right? When we're mm-hmm. like typing away in our computers, it's like, that's not really the same. I see. Typing is not the same as having a pen or pencil on paper, making it happen. Yeah. So any emotional behavior, if you write it down two minutes a day for two consecutive days, imagine if you do it every day, it could just be something as simple as what you were grateful for, because that conjures up feelings and emotions of usually joy in some way. But it could be maybe there's a fear that you have or anxiety. Just expressing that goes a long way. So that's one way that you can shift how you are. And that's a pause. In my opinion, you're intentionally Mm -hmm. shifting your behavior by stopping your life to journal. And maybe you've got that practice, which is great. Maybe you don't. But I invite anyone who's listening to try it and maybe do it in the morning when you get up for two minutes. Tim Ferriss, who's someone I listen to a lot, He's got his five-minute journal practice in the morning, and, and I actually started doing that. And I do a practice where I have five things I'm grateful for every morning. I try to do that. I'm not perfect, but it does make a difference, and it makes me think differently. So that's one thing. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, could you share with us while we're at it, are there any other kind of quick pauses that, that pack a big punch? Yeah, yeah. So pausing to me is a kind of a way of life. You can integrate this in the world that you live in. So whatever your job is, whatever you're doing day-to-day, There's a lot of ways you can build in what I call daily pauses. And again, this is not anything like a long break or an extended leave, but it's ways that you interact with your day-to-day life that can change how you are and bring potentially more ways to be present or self-aware or just be happier, right? So one of them is, I call it the five senses pause. So we've all got senses, five senses seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling, right? Mm -hmm. So you could go ahead and even right now, look around the room, look around where you are right now. And when you start to notice what the colors are or what the textures are or what it smells like, you're activating different parts of your brain for that. And it's actually allowing you to be very present and dropping into 
your body to sense things and get out of our heads a little bit. So like that's one really simple thing. Oh, that's great. So you just say, just sort of tick through each of those five senses. Yeah, yeah. You can have fun with it. This is all an experiment, right? And it's about what works for you. So you could start and just do scene. I'm only going to look at sight. So I'm going to look at my orange walls around me, or maybe it's the environment outside if I'm taking a walk or driving a car. That's maybe one minute or two minutes. And then you can build up from that. And it goes a long way. And then I think one way that's really super simple, we always overlook it. And I just didn't even think of it when you asked me that was the one breath pause. (laughs) It's as easy as sitting up straight and uncrossing your legs and arms. And maybe you put a hand over your diaphragm or your belly and just inhale. I'm doing it right now. Mm -hmm. And exhaling through your mouth. Because we all know how to breathe. But even right there, what shifted? What's different? And so that's another way that you can do a simple daily pause. Oh, that's great. And so that's in through the nose, out through the mouth? In through the nose, out through the mouth. And again, it's about kind of experimenting to see what works for you. Might be three breaths in a row. You can count your breath, one to 10. If you build up to 10 breaths, start over. And these are just great little tools. Think of them like your toolbox that you can implement a pause in your life and your day and throughout your day. And the idea is that, we don't do this to get more successful at pausing. That's not the <laughs> idea, right? Pro this pauser. Is about, yeah. Although I'm a pause advocate, a pause instigator, we do this so that we can be a little less stressed out. And some people call it mindfulness, meditation, which is attention training. It's part of this. But overall, I think pausing can be for what works for you. So it might be a conversation that you have that's really meaningful where you didn't go there before with someone. And deepen a relationship. To me, that's a pause. That's an intentional shift in behavior. It could be a class that you take and you wanted to always build like a passion for or add more to what you already want to do. So that's a big one. And then my favorite, which is so important, is the digital device pause. Mm -hmm. So bet you can guess what that is. Essentially, when you interact with your phone or a laptop or even your Netflix at home, what can you change to serve you more. And there's so many ways that that can help. But one of them is not to charge your phone in your bedroom or not use your phone after 10 p.m. Or when you're with family or friends, don't check that phone if you you know put it like sit on it or turn it off because that's a little intentional shift, but it can really go a long way for pausing and allow you to change your behavior based on what you do with that. Just a couple of ideas. This is so good. Thank you. And so I'd like to get your take also then on, so you talk about those mindfulness exercises. That's probably a big part of your answer to this question. But I think that sometimes, sure enough, I separate myself from the computer, the phone and all that. And yet my brain, it's as though it's still there. What are some pro tips for kind of getting the brain with the program in terms Mm -hmm. of really embracing that pause? Yeah, yeah. So we're creatures of habit right? I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. So it's about building the skill. Just like you'd go to the gym, our brains are always on essentially, unless we're sleeping and we're in deep REM sleep, you know? So the idea is that we actually have to consciously change and choose to be more aware if we want to be. So as much as I say, I want to disconnect, and this is one of my five signs of a pause is when someone has a technology intervention. So that's a great one. I think we can all kind of relate to that, especially in this day and age, right? So if someone is telling me that I use my phone too much, 
I know this and I can say, okay, I'm not going to use my phone, but then I'm still there and I'm checking email. I want to. So it's all about catching yourself in the moment, which is a choice and then shifting your behavior from that. And I have a couple of techniques in the book. I actually call it mental flossing, which to me is about like, imagine, you know, just like dental floss, you're in there in the grooves of your teeth, getting the gunk out and with your brain and your, in the way that we think it's also like a figurative metaphor for using mental flossing to be more aware, self-aware of what the gunk is, quote unquote, in your brain so that you can actually have a better way to think about things, something that serves you more. And there's all kinds of ways that we maybe tie ourselves up in beliefs or negative thoughts that don't really serve us anymore. So forget it. I don't have time. What is she talking about? Pausing. I don't have time for that. (laughs) Why would I do that? So there's ways that when I catch myself and say, hey, okay, I'm tuning in. This is a ta- I call it the taser technique, T-A-S-E-R, kind of like a taser gun mm-hmm. and you zap, zap stuff. <laughs> so just think of it like you can zap yourself and zap yourself back into consciousness. T is for tune in. So I'm going to tune in and say, hold on a second. Oh, I just thought I was something like a, something that doesn't serve me. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough. Okay. Acknowledge that is the A. So acknowledge is, uh, okay. Okay, I now know that I think that. It's really all it is. There's no judgment Mm -hmm. in it. It's just data. And then there might be a feeling associated with that. So you could say, oh, I'm feeling kind of kind of frustrated that that happened. And okay, like it's just the data. And then the S, T-A-S, S is shifting that belief into an updated belief or thought that really does serve you. And again, these are all choices that we have. So instead of saying, I don't have enough time, what if I had a growth mindset Carol Dweck's words for growth mindset. What if I had an updated belief and I choose that I do have enough time? It's really that simple, but it's this subtle little shift that we can take. So then E is expressing that new belief and or thought. So it might be out loud if you can. Maybe you're in the car driving. Maybe you're journaling. You can write it down. It might feel weird or awkward to say it, but that's actually ideal because then your brain, again, is activated in new ways. And again, it's not about judgment. It's just simply expressing it. So yeah, oh, I have enough time. And you may not even believe it. And there's a great section in the book, I call it Act As If. So William James, who's one of our famous philosophers, thought leaders from an earlier time, he had this idea and notion that if we act as if and believe it, and you may have heard this as well, fake it till you make it kind Mm -hmm. of thing, our Brains don't know the difference. Our bodies and brains are not clear on that's not true. (laughs) So you can almost trick yourself into it, even if you don't buy it right now. And the idea is over time, you actually do buy that and become that. And then R, T-A-S-E-R, R is for repeating that process. And it's, again, a skill that you build. So the more you can do this and build that skill every time you are aware, every time you catch that and practice that's building that skill. And that is how you do get over time change. Oh, that's so fun. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also curious to hear about some of these longer term pauses, like multi-day pauses. Mm -hmm. Have you discovered in your own experience or working with folks or the research that there's something like uh, diminishing returns, like, oh, you know, a three-day weekend is super rejuvenating, but stretch it to four and you're not really 34% more rejuvenated for taking that extra day. (laughs) Does that data exist or am I overcomplicating things? I like the way you're thinking about that. Well, here's the thing. To my knowledge, that data doesn't exist that I know of. Maybe one day I'll have that data and I can speak to it a little more. But again, it's all about what works for you. And I think that that's the bottom line for helping and creating effective pauses. So 
life is an experiment, right? And ideally, we live it that way. So I invite anyone to try out and see what works. So maybe you do try three days. And that seems very good as a time frame. And three days is like you can decompress from whatever you were doing, have a really good slot of time where you're intentionally shifting your behavior, whatever that is, and then you go back to whatever you're doing. Sometimes it might be not even necessary to take that time off, but you might do an hour a day where you're going outside for a walk or not eating lunch at your desk. Ideally, if it's a long, epic type of journey or something where you do get that time off, which could be used like a vacation, a week, Mm -hmm. right? And if you intentionally shifted that, that can work. So I think it's all about what works for the individual. And that's about choice as well. And it could be different for everybody. And I I invite all of us to see what works. And it's just a personal preference thing, I think. And it is important to test that out. I have never heard of anyone, to your point, saying too much time is bad. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just me. I'm not the end-all be-all source for that. But I think personally, when you can detach and actually take yourself out of a situation, especially if you are facing a burnout mode, and I'm not saying quit your job. That's not the point at all. It might just be, I need a day. I need Sunday where I'm going to go walk in the woods or I'm going to journal or I'm going to go to the library. It doesn't have to cost any money. And again, it's not about the quantity of time. It's the quality. And maybe you take the attention to really become clear with what your plan will be going forward. And it might be to create more space ongoing on a daily basis that might allow you to have more downtime with your family, as an example, or with your partner, your pet, whatever it is. But again, it's about you. And and I invite anyone who's feeling that way to experiment a little bit, like I said, but also know that there is no right or wrong answer, but that detaching is important, whether it's for a couple minutes, like you're following your breath, or if it's a really long time. Because that's when you can really tune into yourself. And I think that's where that clarity can come in. And I call it deep listening in the book, where you're more aligned with what matters to you because you're there, you're being with yourself. And that is scary. It's not like an easy thing. And that's why I think a lot of us jump in and do a bunch of stuff, including me. I'm very guilty of that. Okay. Well, thank you. That's a nice rundown and much appreciated. Is there (laughs) anything else you want to make sure that you put out there before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Yeah. Well, one thing I would say is, this is another pause story in the book, my friend Joe, who got laid off a while ago. So there's sometimes unintended pauses Mm -hmm. where we might face an adversity. So there might be a major challenge in your life, a health challenge or something that's not going well, or you get laid off. And so I would say those are opportunities to also pause. It's not about going and getting back on track as fast as possible. These are life's little gifts, I'll call them, where maybe at the time they don't seem like that by any means. And from challenge comes opportunity. I feel like that's a huge theme of those times. And when I was looking for my next job, from challenge comes opportunity. Those are opportunities where you can really assess where you are in that moment, in that point in time, and pause and intentionally shift so that you can make sure you are learning and leading a life that's really satisfying for you and not just checking boxes off or doing something because someone else wanted you to do it. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Mm. Well, actually, the one that I just shared, I love from Challenge Comes Opportunity. All right. And I think we forget that. I don't know who said it first, but if we can remember that and know that this is a choice, 
I can choose to let this defeat me or I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to just say, I'll never get that. I'm a failure. Or I can choose to have the opportunity and I can choose to see what can come of this or have another interview or do something different. And that is, I think, so key in our world, especially as thriving people awesome at our jobs and want to be, because that's where we can really see ourselves and tune in to what we want to do and go for it and go for it no matter what challenges we have. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Yeah. So there's a lot of studies I'm thinking of right now, but the one that's top of mind is the Stanford prison study with Dr. I want to say Zimbardo. It's not in pause, but I think it really resonates in terms of how we act in big groups and how the world does conform. And the whole point of the study, and this was done years ago, decades ago, where students got together and enacted a prison type situation. And there were students that were prisoners and there were students that were guards. And overall, they had to stop the study because things got out of hand, because the group think was so, like just malice was happening. And there was a lot of trouble, like people weren't doing well. And they called it off because it was literally a mock-up. But yet, because people were in these modes and wearing uniforms and had numbers and there were guards with superiority, things got out of hand. So I think it's just a really easy reminder in the world that it's so easy to go along with what other people think. And it's so easy to do what the crowd does. And the stat that I do have in the book is that 70% of the world conforms. We live in conformity. So it takes courage. It takes bravery to choose different than that. And I think that's part of what that study showed us because it's so easy to conform and part of pausing because it's not the norm. It's not what we do normally or on autopilot. It requires conscious choice. And to me is a reminder that I can choose not to conform if I really want to honor my truth or what's going on with me authentically. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book. Let's see. So I have a few. My favorite book is The Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by Dave Eggers, which is a fiction book. And I love what he writes. That's not my norm. I usually like reading nonfiction and self-help. Oh, what a surprise. (laughs) It's the stuff that I'm writing. (laughs) But I finished Angela Duckworth's Grit recently. And that was a really fascinating book as well about the perseverance and what it takes for grit. And I think that was a great book. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, whether that's a product or service or app, something that helps you be awesome at your job? So I think, gosh, I'm not sure what I would say is like my favorite, favorite tool. I like commuting by bike or by walking. (laughs) So my tool would be like public transportation. Mm -hmm. I use those city bikes in San Francisco, the Bay Area SF Bay bikes, which are pretty cool. And I try not to drive as much as possible. But when I am driving, I think podcasts like this one, and like I mentioned, I listen to a few and TED Talks. I'm always trying to learn about something. I'm a huge learner. And there's no end to our capacity, which is what I'm learning along this journey. So anything that improves my learning, like a podcast while I'm biking or in transit, I think is really helpful for me. And I enjoy using those. Okay, good. Thank you. (laughs) And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that really makes a world of difference? Yeah. So I think this won't be a surprise, Mm -hmm. but I've learned how to meditate. And I started after my three-month break in 2011, which is this whole story of pause. And I actually learned it, well, I learned it right after I went to Burning Man for the first time. So that was in 2011. And then 
I was at a meditation camp and a good friend of mine gave me his book, which is called How to Meditate in a New York Minute. So I've been trying it since then and it's a work in progress as I am (laughs) and know now. And it's really helped me be calm. Like even that one breath is what I could consider meditation. And now it's a way of life. And I think it really helps me be more in my own body and be more self-aware. Oh, good. And tell me, is there a particular nugget, something that you share when you're writing or speaking that seems to really particularly resonate with folks, get them nodding heads and saying, yes, so good. Yeah. So I think a lot of that stems from my work in Chicago with the Wright Foundation. We study emotional and social intelligence. And one of the key tools that I've used, which I share in the book and with anyone who I'm with, are the five primary emotions. And because we're all human, I think this really resonates and relates to all of us. So did you know there are five primary emotions, Pete? I'm thinking about the movie Inside Out right now. Is it like those? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's very similar. So there's five primary emotions that we use. And of course, there's millions of other secondary and tertiary emotions, but you probably have four of the five from Inside Out. (laughs) So can you name any of those? Okay. Let's see. Happiness, sadness. Joy. Yes. We'll call it joy, sadness. Anger. Anger. uh, Disgust or contempt. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's, let's have some fun. I'm going to guess fear. You got it. So, yes. so you got four. So disgust isn't one of the ones that we really practice. We okay. use hurt. Hurt. All right. You know, it's like the five that we use. So you've got most of them and fear is a big one and joy is a big one. Sadness, anger, hurt. And all of us can relate to those. So if I'm asking myself anytime, what am I feeling right now? Like right now with you, what am I feeling right now? Fear, hurt, joy, sadness, or anger. I could tell you I'm feeling I'm feeling some fear because mm, I don't know the question you're asking me. <laughs> and, and yes, you're so intimidating. But I'm also just not sure of the outcome. I don't know what this will bring or you know. So like being just fully okay in that fear, but it's minor. It's not like terrifying. <laughs> There's degrees of it, and I'm feeling joy because I'm sharing my message and I'm sharing with you this teaching that I think is such an important one in emotional intelligence. So there you go. I've got those two right now. And and I'd say it's probably more on the joy side, but that's me tuning in and you can do that right now. What what are you feeling? What's your primary emotion right now? It's so funny. I think of what I experience most often, and I don't know how they are expressed in primary emotions, are excitement, frustration, and Mm. tired. Yeah. So I think that those, I mean, all of emotions are valid, first of all, and it's important to notice that. And it's not like we've got bad emotions, like they're all there to serve us. And I would say, so excitement is joy, you know, that's excitement, but it's a tinge of maybe there's that you know, exhilaration feeling, which is, I'd say mostly joy. Frustration is a form of anger. There's okay, some yeah. other emotions in there, but <laughs> it's an easy, and I used to say that like, oh, I'm frustrated, but it's anger. It's like the bottom line. We just don't say that in uh-huh. a business setting actually, but frustration's there. And then tired is an interesting one because that's a state, right? It's Mm -hmm. like a state of being tired or a state of being sleepy, but it could be a bunch of different things. So depending on where you are, but there might be some ways that you want to tune out, like maybe like sadness there, but it's hard to say because it's like a nebulous there. But in general, like exhaustion or tiredness can be more a sign of just not being fully present in the emotions, but also maybe there's some sadness too. Like maybe you're not out there doing what you want to do and you're tired so much or exhausted. And I'm sure that's the case with people like new parents and stuff like that. It's not anything other than that, really. But it means you need more sleep, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, so now I'm intrigued. You said the word state. We're talking to William James. We're talking emotions. So now I'm thinking about Tony Robbins, who's yeah. always talks about 
Put yourself in a peak state. Make your move. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> What's your take on that world of kind of conscientiously choosing to be in a given state? Like, I'm going to get fired up right now by jumping yeah. up and down, pounding my chest, screaming yes, because that would be helpful right now to be yeah. feel fired up. What's your take on that? Uh-huh. Wow. Cool. I'm loving that you went there. So again, it comes back to choice. And this is what Tony does. Tony's like, let's get fired up. We can choose to upregulate, we'll call it. And again, this is the work from um, the Right Foundation. So you can upregulate your emotions. You can downregulate your emotions. You can kind of like change them for what serves you. And you can still feel those things, but you can enter those states. And really the principle here we're talking about is aliveness, right? Like how alive can you be in the moment? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm jumping up and down and I'm really animated, or maybe I'm kind of like bringing it back in and I'm calming and centering myself. And you can still be very alive there. You can still feel like your heart beating inside your chest. Like it's just about the choice of where you want to go in that moment. And we can choose it all the time. But the thing is, here's the kicker. We have been on autopilot for hundreds of thousands of years as beings in the planet. And now we're able to really help harness our consciousness, this prefrontal cortex, our frontal lobe, and engage in our thinking brain in ways that we're just learning about. And then now things are evolving and we're evolving. So we can know that we have that choice and we can upregulate with Tony if we choose to, or we can choose to get really calm and quiet if that's what we really need, maybe pause or shift our behavior that way. So I mean, that sounds like a positive you know, take on that. I think the opposite perspective could be, oh, you're not honoring your emotion and yourself and the message that mm-hmm. emotion is offering to you. What do you think about that? Yeah, so that's a big point, a good one. Honoring your emotions are super, super important. And you can still be in any state and honor your emotions. The idea is that the state is aligned with your emotion. So if you're feeling blue, if you're just feeling sad, mm-hmm. you're not up for jumping around the stage with Tony, maybe you're in the audience, <laughs> then authentically, you can honor that and choose not to do that. Again, it's a choice. But emotions... So that's why it's so important to tune in. We have these bodies that we're given where we sometimes forget about them or we don't ask ourselves what we are feeling. And then maybe we deny that and say, oh, I'm so like, screw the fear. Like, I don't want to even feel that. Or I don't want to be angry. That's not who I am or whatever it is. Like our thoughts kind of interrupt us Mm -hmm. and just simply note that. And that's where you can do the taser technique. And that's where you can understand and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Fear, hurt, joy, sadness, anger. and then. No, not judge it, not explain why, but just simply stating that is honoring your feelings and then going from there. And that's the idea. The wild ride we're on is that every moment can be on that roller coaster. It might be something you're really awesomely excited about, or it might be like, oh, I hate feeling this way. But mm-hmm. you're still honoring that when you acknowledge it. And that's the whole idea is that when we honor our feelings and they're all there to serve us, they can really be in our biggest instrument to how we can be in the world because that's our tune in to know how we are feeling so that I can be present and not just operate on this autopilot mode. That's cool. And so I guess final question. Wow, we really went (laughs) deep here. Thank you. It's been fun to play. I like it. I like it. (laughs) So in your view, having done all this research, are you suggesting that there's not really much, you know, harm or danger in frequently choosing to alter our emotional states 
It's just a choice and you got to be conscious about it and make sure that it's serving you well and then it's all good. Or is there a danger in the sense of you might even lose touch with your emotions and what they're trying to tell you if you keep, you know, just overriding them and switching them to something else? Yeah. So I think the important thing is here, and I'm, like I said, I'm not a neuroscientist. So this is just based on my own experience as a human and (laughs) some of the limited research I've done is that I think if you honor your emotions, you can't go wrong. But it's also important to just understand how you feel in any given moment so that you can show up as your authentic self. And when you do that, you are able to honor yourself. You're affirming who you are because that's your true feeling. And it's not about feeling bad or shame or denial. Like Those are other states, but feelings are you. And there's no right or wrong feeling here. People talk about bad feelings, negative feelings. That's crap. I think feelings are here and they're all okay. And you're okay feeling them. But we've been taught, some of us have been taught in our lives that we're not okay if we feel a certain way or that feeling's not okay and we shouldn't feel that way. And I think what's important in the message is that if you just honor what your feelings are and be with those feelings, you can't really go wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's about expressing them and not denying them. And it's important. And if there's a feeling that's super strong and overwhelming, then it's important to get help for that or important to reach out because that's what this is all about. When we express, we can really be more authentic because that's who we are. And by express, I mean, maybe it's writing in a journal. Maybe it's telling someone. Maybe it's just saying out loud by yourself. But (laughs) I think it's important to start with emotions because that's the basis of who we all are as people. And relationships and how we feel in the moment is what really makes us feel alive. And that's not why we're all here is to live and fully appreciate and be in our full selves. And whatever way that that can manifest for individuals is going to be different. But I think it's a start. Oh, great. Thank you. Also, tell me, (laughs) if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah. So I have a website and it's my name, rachelomera.com. And it's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-O-M-E-A-R-A.com. And pause, pause the book comes out and it's available there. And I also have things like, I call it the pause cast. So there's, <laughs> there's recordings there with thought leaders who I think have meaningful messages to share. And then I've got other things in there from writings and articles and that kind of thing. So I think rachelomera.com. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, Rachel, this has been so much fun. I wish you lots of luck and hope pause is a smash success. Thank you, Pete. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Ever since this conversation, I've been taking that breath pause more and more often. And it is wild how taking literally less than 15 seconds makes a big impact. And I feel more raring to go and able to be more focused, mindful, present in the zone, raring to rock and roll with the next challenge. Challenge one, breath pause, new challenge just seems to work out really well for me. So I hope you try that out and some of the other stuff that Rachel had to share. And again, if you want to review some of that with a transcript or the links to pieces we referenced, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep144. I also encourage you to push the subscribe button so you'll catch folks like our next guest. It is Jeff DeGraff, aka the Dean of Innovation. He has some amazing stories from his experience at Domino's Pizza in the early days where he helped turn it into the behemoth that it is today, as well as 
looking at the Innovation Center at the University of Michigan and much wisdom when it comes to generating and implementing creative ideas from yourself and from groups. So I hope to catch you then and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.